This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Live and Learn with me, Darshan Yohan. You're listening to our Ketuanan Pengundi of Voter Supremacy series in collaboration with Bursi. This series will explore six key reforms that the Coalition for Clean and Fair Elections is championing to empower voters ahead of the 15th general elections. On the first episode, we will be exploring reforming the Election Commission to prevent voter suppression. Joining me on the show today is Thomas Fan. He's the chairperson of Berse. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Let's lay the groundwork first. So what is the role of the Election Commission or EC? Hi, thanks for inviting me again to your show. Uh, the Election Commission is the uh, body that is uh, mandated by constitution to uh, run election in this country. So in doing that, it has uh, three roles. One is obviously to conduct elections when elections are called. Uh, secondly, is to do the delineation, the, the delineation of electoral boundaries. And thirdly, is uh, registration of voters. And of course, even with the uh, automatic voter registration, uh, the EC still has to uh, be responsible who, on, for who goes into the electoral role. So that, that role uh, maintains. So these are the important uh, functions that EC has uh, to ensure that our elections are uh, conducted uh, free and fair. Is the Election Commission or EC in Malaysia independent and should it be an independent entity? Absolutely. You know, I mean, election is the most important function in a democracy because it determines who governs, who come to power for five years. And uh, if you don't have an independent uh, body to conduct that process, then whoever comes into government, becoming government, will not have the legitimacy that it should have in order to govern for five years. So it has to be an absolutely independent and seem to be independent uh, commission. As I understand, Thomas, the EC was actually independent in its inception. After all, Dato Mustafa al-Bakri Hassan, um, for example, was regarded as a highly independent and fair EC chair um, until he retired in 1967. But as time went on, its powers and independence started to shrink. Um, when did the EC start to lose its independence and why? The independence of the EC has been eroded by uh, politics politicians over the years. And I think it started uh, in 1963 when the power to decide on electoral boundaries was taken away from the election commission. Prior to that, the election commission was independent. Uh, it was a very small commission then of three person. Uh, and, and it has full autonomy to decide on what is a fair distribution of population and draw up the boundaries. But after 1963, uh, the uh, constitution was amended where this power was uh, then taken away and placed under parliament uh, slash the prime minister because whoever is the prime minister has control over the parliament and whatever the prime minister table to the parliament uh, will be, will be uh, considered as as, as uh, uh, voted upon. Then in 1980s, in the 80s, uh, under Dr. Mahathir, he took this a little uh, further by 
taking the election commission and place it under the prime minister's department as one of the department of the prime minister. Now that is totally uh, against the, the principle of uh, fair play. It's, it's like uh, having two football teams, let's say Manchester United and Liverpool. Then you have the referee uh, coming from Manchester United. Right. He, in fact, he, he has a office in Manchester United <laughs> and he is the referee of that final match. You know, so it is totally against that principle. And what that means is that uh, it is influenced by the executive uh, right now. And even the financing of the election commission, it has to get its funding from the Ministry of Finance. And again, that is under the executive uh, and is staffing from the public uh, uh, civil service where you get all its staff. So it really have very little control over itself. Uh, and that's why we have the kind of uh, dispute and uh, questions and perception over the independence of the election commission. You want independence, but yet you want accountability. Right. You don't really want an agency or commission that is totally independent and uh, not accountable to anybody or institution. So the best institution to us uh, that it has to be accountable to is parliament. So we have been proposing a permanent standing committee to be formed uh, for this most important function in the democracy of this country, the conduct of election. So the EC should be uh, going to the this committee for its funding proposal. With that approved, then the Minister of Finance disperses the money. Do we know why Tun Dr. Mahade decided to, you know, bring the EC uh, from an, uh, you know, from at that point, the independence was already sort of waning um, as it was brought under parliament. And then Tun Dr. Mahade brought it, as you mentioned, under his department directly. Do we know why he did it? Well, I mean, uh, I can only speculate or I, <laughs> my best guess is that he's the man himself, you know. Right. The man, I think, has a, a authoritarian streak in him and he liked to have things under his control. So under his reign, uh, the first term as the prime minister, uh, he reigned in the parliament, uh, he reigned in the judiciary, and uh, what, what more, the election commission. So I think it is just uh, in his nature that uh, he doesn't like dissent, he doesn't like uh, any roadblocks uh, to achieve what he wants to achieve for the country, you know. But uh, I think... Uh, he see it as more expedient probably uh, to bring the EC under the Prime Minister's department. As I understand right now, most EC members are retired civil servants. Um, at one point, um, there were actually direct political appointees. I think there were members of EC from MCA, for example. And um, these days, it's retired civil servants. Is that a good thing? Um, and is that good enough? You're correct. Uh, nowadays, uh, at least when we are talking about the last 10, 20 years, um, a lot of the commissioners appointed are those who have retired from the civil service, right. from di different ministry, different departments, uh, and they retired at 60 years old. Whereas the retirement age for the EC is uh, 66. And what... It, that means is that they have a very short tenure mm -hmm. of uh, just a few years before they are they have to retire uh, 
according to the law. And the problem with that is that when you have uh, a retired person in that position who, of course, come in from different ministry and sector with no expertise on election matters, they are not going to rock the boat. They will take the attitude is status quo. We just follow whatever has been done in the last 50 years and we don't try to bring reform. We don't try to bring changes or rock the boat so that we can retire nicely at uh, 66 and enjoy our pension. So that is the attitude. So with that attitude, we are seeing uh, an election commission that is not very adventurous in reform. Uh, they are not progressive. Even when faced with challenges like what we just had the last two years with the COVID pandemic, where we are severely restricted in our movement and even the conduct of election, we didn't see any real new processes to enable people to participate in election, which is a very important issue uh, if you come to electing a representative right. or a government. So this is the problem that we have. You know, when you uh, pick uh, commissioners from the pool of retirees, so who should we pick? Um, who should be appointed um, in, in the EC and, and how should we go about the what, what should the process be like? Well, I mean, like any organization, mm -hmm. you know, if you are running a football team, you want the best uh, people for the job. You want the best manager, you want the best coach, you want the best player uh, to, to fulfill their role. And so for the EC is the same. You would want uh, people who are uh, competent, people who are familiar with uh, election processes and law, uh, regardless of which sector they are from. And they need uh, to be given that opportunity to, to, to be involved in recommending, using latest technology, latest processes available around the world, to, so that we can have a, a very efficient, very transparent and very uh, inclusive election where many people can participate. Right. Now, Thomas, you brought up a very good example earlier about, you know, um, the referees in football match. Imagine the ref, uh, you know, it's Manu versus Arsenal and the referees from Manu. Now, but for a regular person, um, you know, who is more focused on, let's say, bread and butter issues and is not perhaps very, um, you know, familiar or very interested in, in these sorts of things like the independence of the EC and all of that. Um, perhaps you can tell me why is it important to have a truly independent election commission which commands the trust of the public? How will it impact people's lives? Well, I mean, this is uh, actually a very direct link. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't have a independent EC that conduct election that reflects the will of the majority, where the will of the majority are disregarded, what it would mean is that the government that is elected may not have the popular vote or reflect the will of the majority, then it is not accountable to the majority. Right. It is more responsive to its voting base and at the expense of the rest of the population. So that is not a situation we want where a government that is biased, 
in its policy implementation. So I think that that would be something that would affect the bread and butter of the population. So participation in election is really a means uh, that we have in democracy for people to express their right. their personal will uh, collectively so that we can hold government accountable. On the show with me today is Thomas Fan, chairperson of Mercy. After a break, I ask him about key areas that EC must improve upon. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Dashan Johan and you're listening to the first episode of our Ketuanan Pengundi series in collaboration with Berse. On this episode, I'm joined by Thomas Fan, and we're talking about reforming the Election Commission. So Thomas, I asked you this question a few weeks ago on good things, but I think it's worth recapping for those who do not know, especially when we are discussing this topic, right? The origins of Berse is to push for clean and fair elections. Are our elections cleaner and fairer today? I would uh, break it into two parts, clean, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, clean, I would focus on the processes of election, the conduct of election. Uh, today, I would say, to be fair, that the election is cleaner. Right. Uh, not just because Bersay says so, but we did not see many contesting party or uh, complaining of uh, votes been rigged, phantom voters and uh, unfair processes, uh, lack of transparency. We In, in the last uh, four or five years, we have not uh, seen many of those, unlike before, where there was a lot of allegations, including from Brasse, of uh, lack of transparency, uh, lack of uh, due process, uh, Boran 13 not given out, to all uh, polling uh, counting agents right. and uh, the process was uh, uh, unfair and there were phantom voters, dubious voters on the electoral roll. So nowadays, uh, we may pick up a few uh, problematic voters, but not in the numbers that we saw. So it's cleaner. Mm-hmm. But you, if you ask me, is it fairer? No, it's not fairer. Uh, the, the, the one major reason for that is the delineation of the constituency. It is still very grossly malapportioned mm-hmm. and gerrymandered. Now, uh, if I could just explain the difference between the two yes, words, gerrymandering and malapportionment, because a lot of people uh, use them interchangeably, but they actually mean two different things. First of all, gerrymandering is the drawing of electoral boundary in a very peculiar, strange way that does not respect uh, local ties, local authority boundaries, or even uh, major natural boundaries like rivers, uh, mountain ranges, things like that. They just draw the boundary all over the place, <laughs> cutting up uh, housing estate, cutting up kampong and things like that, breaking up local ties. But the number, total number, may be uh, fair. But that is gerrymandering. Now, the big problem, the other one, is malapportionment. For example, in Selangor State, you have two parliamentary, they are all together 22 parliamentary constituency. 
The largest one is Bangi. Right, right now, it has about 300 over 1,000 voters in Bangi, represented by MP Ong Kian Ming. Mm -hmm. Then you have Sabah Bernam in the same state of Selangor with about 60,000. So that is five times or right. more than five times the size, uh, smaller than uh, Bangi. So which means that the value of a Sabah Bernam voter is five times more. So that makes our election uh, unfair. Now what has been going on um, really goes against the principle of one person, one vote. Do you think there's enough awareness on the ground when it comes to this issue? And what can we do about it, especially in the near future? Well, I think about awareness. Uh, there is greater awareness, I think, thanks to the work of uh, organisations like Brasey, Dinda Malaysia and various uh, political parties as well, has uh, raised that awareness of this unfairness in our election. But what can we do about it? There is um, nothing direct we can do as citizens, but uh, the government of the day, together with all the other MPs, they can trigger a redelineation process by amending Article 46 in the Federal Constitution, uh, where it determines the number of seats for each state. Now, any change, according to Article 113 of the same constitution, any change in the uh, number of seats in the House would automatically trigger a redelineation process uh, to, to rebalance the, the, the seat. Right. But that is not the problem. The real problem is back to the EC itself. The EC, for as long as we can remember, have always uh, not adhered to the constitutional guideline uh, found in the 13th Schedule Section 2C, where it says that every um, constituency should be approximately equal in size. The problem is that we have an EC that defines the word approximate uh, according to classification of their, the constituency, uh, whether they are rural, semi-rural, urban, semi-urban, and urban, and so forth. And for each, they, they have their own classification, which is not in the law at all, uh, to justify this sort of male apportionment. Now, what we really need is a change in the the composition of the EC, we need to have a competent, professional, independent uh, commissioners who will uh, abide by the spirit of the law to define approximately equal as approximately equal. Even given rural weightage, we allow that rural constituency uh, can have a weightage but it should not be more than uh, 15%. Right. Like the ori original uh, constitution defined it as not more than 15%. So that is, I think, the, the, the biggest problem. So really, we need a total overhaul if we want to bring about uh, fairness in our election, uh, starting with the overhaul of the election commission. And also, I think the law can play a part. We can amend the constitution to really spell out what it means to be equal. Bring back the 15% uh, plus minus uh, from the state average. I think that would uh, go a long way. 
Another thing that Bursay has been pushing for with regard to the EC and, and reforming elections as a whole is um, postal voting. Why is postal voting important, Thomas? And, you know, when we look at the, the current situation, who is allowed to vote by post now and how should we expand it? Right now, uh, there are a category of people that are allowed to vote. The first category will be election workers or those who are involved in election on polling day. They can apply to become poster voters. So these are very strict category that the EC has uh, listed. Uh, obviously, election, election workers uh, under the EC, uh, people from the media, the, the police, and different government agencies that are directly involved in election the election process on polling day they can apply to be poster voter. But the EC has also opened up poster voting for Malaysians overseas, living overseas. Since GE14, the last general election, all Malaysians living overseas, except those in neighbouring country, namely Singapore, uh, Kalimantan, Brunei and Southern Thailand, they are not allowed to be poster voter, but all other Malaysians can apply to be poster voters. So these are the categories. But the good news is that EC has now allowed those in neighboring country as well uh, to apply to be poster voters, uh, mainly those in Singapore and those countries that I mentioned. Now, why this reform is extremely important now is simply because with UNDI 18 and automatic voter registration, we have seen a huge increase in the number of uh, people added to the electoral roll, something like 45% since GE14. So with that, what it would mean is that we're going to see lower voter turnout if we don't do anything to facilitate vote the voting process for people. Uh, what we saw in jo Johor, uh, state election of uh, under 55% was the first time that UNDI 18 and automatic voter registration electoral roll was included in. And we saw the turnout that way. Now, I believe it will be a, a bit higher for GE, but it should be a lot higher. And the EC can play a part by uh, reforming the poster voting process which is right now uh, very archaic. Like I say, you know, we have an EC that is uh, have a don't rock the boat mentality right. and they have been using the same envelope standing out by Post Malaysia and waiting for overseas post to return process uh, the last 50 years. And they have not changed that even with now uh, the availability of technology. So we estimated after the Johor election that the capacity of the EC to use this manual process of processing application for poster voting and then sending this poster ballot to uh, the overseas Malaysian, their capacity is only 10,000. Right. Whereas the potential of Malaysian who are eligible to vote overseas is at least 1.7 to 1.8 million, according to the UN uh, data on Malaysian diaspora. Right. And we are talking about almost 8% of the electoral roll living outside Malaysia who many of them want to vote 
But because of the, the bottleneck of 10,000, even if 100,000, 200,000 apply, they will not be able to receive their ballot in time because it will take forever for the EC to process those uh, ballot applications. Now, what we have pro proposed is really up to date and it is uh, already, EC is really halfway there. Because right now, since about two, three years ago, EC uh, created a, a portal within their website called My SPR. Now, what that means is that all of us voters, every one of us, we can go there and create an account with the EC. It's just, it's just like opening a bank account. They require you to take uh, send your IC front and back and take a selfie with your IC. Right. And then they approve it in one or two days. Once they verify with a one-time password, we link to your phone. So you are verified right. as the voter. Now, they already have that in place. And you apply to be a postal voter on the same uh, account. But what we are saying is that on the same account, after nomination day, when we are certain, we know who are all the candidates for each voting constituency. It would be a small step for EC to allow successful applicant or postal voter to go in, click to download the PDF version of the poster ballot, PDF version of uh, Form 2 to fill in, PDF version of the returning officer's address, and send it to the returning officer the next day. Right. So all this will save time, but also save costs and also cut out uh, errors that we have found in this manual process that EC is doing now. So we have proposed this and pushed this together with Global Brissett, uh, but we have not uh, heard a positive response yet. On that note, do you also think that the same sort of expansion um, when it comes to postal voting that the EC has done in, in recent times, for example, the Joho elections, they allowed people living in Singapore, neighbouring countries to vote via post as well. Do you think the same should um, be extended towards our friends um, in Sabah and Sarawak, Sabah and Sarawakians who are perhaps working in Peninsular Malaysia and so on and so forth? And we know that every time... Um, elections is announced, there's this massive rush by East Malaysians, especially to get back to their hometowns. But then they have to jump through so many hoops because flight ticket prices are, you know, skyrocket. That's one thing. And on top of that, we know that uh, many people, let's say if they have to go back to their rural, very rural constituencies in either Sabah or Sarawak, it's not easy because um, they may have to um, go through very old roads. They have to, um, you know, perhaps take boats. Thanks for bringing that up, Dashron. That's something that is very close to our heart in mm -hmm. say. We have been pushing for this uh, to be facilitated by the EC. Um, you know, every election we hear heroic stories <laughs> and sacrifice of uh, people trying to raise funds for East Malaysian to fly back to vote uh, in Sabah or Sarawak. By our estimation, there's about half a million uh, East Malaysian who, due to availability of jobs here and also education here, they are here, living here. Right. But many of them are living here uh, temporarily. In other words, they, they have intention and plan to go back to their home. 
their kampung, their kawasan uh, to, to, to serve and to work there eventually after they have raised enough money or get the education. So for them, their interest when it comes to election is who represents their home constituency. So that is, their, I think, their right, right. and it's a valid, valid uh, reason. But the EC have said that what they should do is that they have to change their voting constituency from East Malaysia to Peninsula, wherever they are living, whether in the Klang Valley, right. in Johor, or wherever. And I would say that that posed a few major problems. One is disrespecting their their own right to vote for the party, the candidate to represent the development in their constituency. But the second thing that is problematic is that you will end up depopulating East Malaysia from already very underpopulated area and bringing the voting uh, population in, in the peninsula and oftentimes in urban area that are already overpopulated and too big to be even bigger. So it will exacerbate the malapportionment problem that we spoke right. about earlier. Okay, that is a major problem. So one in Brussels we advocate. Now, the, the thing is that EC is within their right and authority to accord them absentee voting right. Absentee voting right. Like they do for overseas Malaysian uh, army personnel, the police, all this, you know, they have the right to do that. But under absentee voting right, there are two 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 methods. One is poster voting that we spoke about just now. The second thing is advanced voting. Advanced voting is what it means. It means you vote three days before polling day. Right. Now, army camp does that. Army personnel uh, does that three days in advance. Uh, they get to cast their votes. And we are actually recommending the same advanced voting rights for East Malaysian. Where, and we this, this uh, change in position, you could say, we were advocating poster voting uh, before, uh, came about during COVID. Because during COVID, we were very encouraged, very inspired by how the Ministry of Health uh, conducted the vaccination process, the mass vaccination in all these PPV uh, uh, vac mega vaccination center where they are able to vaccinate thousands of people each day. Mm -hmm. Now, we saw that and say, yes, EC can easily set up one uh, mega voting center in every state in the peninsula so that East Malaysian within living within that state, can come on that day, three days in advance, queue up, get a number, and vote for their home constituency. All the ballot boxes or bags for that constituency are already set up there. Mm -hmm. They mark their ballot, drop in, and then it is sealed, delivered back to the returning officer of their kawasan constituency, and counted together with the other voters in their home constituency. Now, why we prefer advanced voting to postal voting? Because we can also see, especially uh, in East Malaysia, where money politics is a major issue, uh, many of these politicians will learn to game the system by offering to buy blank poster ballot for a few hundred ringgit. 
you know so it would then uh kind of like uh, encourage money politics right. if we have poster voting they will just then uh, have agents to collect all this blank poster ballot and give 300 ringgit in return or whatever not and uh, so whereas uh, advanced voting where a person has to appear in person makes it more difficult it doesn't totally eliminate money politics but make it more difficult now, Bercy has also been a huge proponent, a huge supporter of Undi 18's movement, which was to lower the voting age from 21 to 18 um, and also include um, the automatic voter registration. Now, thankfully, these things have been implemented by the Election Commission. Um, talk to me about why implementing it is very important. I mean, uh, first of all, I think legally, you know, the 18 is the age of majority in our country and in most countries and i always say in a very very crude way maybe uh if they are old enough to be hanged for a crime then they should be given the right to vote right absolutely i mean you you can hang someone if they turn 18 and committed a capital offense and why can't uh, uh they be given the right to vote and they they can become soldiers and die for the country at 18, mm-hmm. but they cannot vote. So it's totally incongruent, uh, illogical even. Uh, so we are very glad uh, that uh, that was done. And automatic voter registration is also something that we was a bonus in the whole process and we welcome because I, was, uh, I started my activism uh, work uh, some years ago by doing voters registration. Right. I, I knew how cumbersome and tedious that process was. And it shouldn't be. The right to vote is guaranteed under the constitution already. And But the process to become a voter at that time was like, you have to jump over many hurdles, wait for many months, and then uncertain whether you're registered or not. Right. So we are glad that is out of the way. So what that means, guys, is that you don't have to pre-register to become a voter. The moment you turn 18 or you're already 18 years old and above, though you have never registered yourself as a voter, you can turn up at the polling station on polling day with your IC and cast your vote. But of course, you have to find out where is your polling station right. and you can do that online at the SPR website. The last aspect I want to talk to you about is the idea of a fixed campaign period. Um, Bercy has uh, repeatedly said that they want to push, uh, that you guys are pushing for a fixed campaign period uh, before elections, preferably around 21 days. Why is this important? What's the situation right now? The, the reason why we want to push for minimum 21 days campaign period is really the poster voting process. Uh, unless the EC come up and take up our proposal to allow people to download PDF version of poster ballot or find other ways to uh, facilitate that, then it is incumbent for the EC, especially now that you have opened up vote poster voting right to all Malaysian overseas, that you must allow sufficient time for people to receive their ballot overseas and then to send back in time before polling day. By having a campaign period of 11 days or even two weeks, 14 days is totally insufficient. On average, 
most countries, uh, when when EC after, uh, they can only post out those poster ballot manually after about three or four days because it takes three four days for them to to uh, print the labels, print print the form, print the ballot, and stuff envelopes. Can you believe it? In this day and age, <laughs> we are still stuffing envelopes. Ridiculous. And, and yeah. Uh, it takes at least three, four days. Right. Then they send it and it takes about another week to reach the US or more. So most of the time in the past when you have election that has uh, 11 days or 14 days, uh, people receive their ballot after the election. And I tell you, this is creating a great uh, 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 frustration and also a, a great uh, anger to, towards the election commission. Uh, so that's why we say, unless you're going to reform the poster voting method of delivery, you have to extend campaign period to more than 21 days. But I know many political parties uh, don't like that. They are the first to object to that because they say they, always, they are so tired campaigning, com, uh, campaigning for 21 days. But you know, they already campaigned before election is called. Right. So I, I I don't understand what's the logic behind that. Absolutely. Because I'm not a politician. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, before we wrap this conversation up, uh, Thomas, would you have some final thoughts or a final message with regard to reforming the election commission to end voter suppression? The, the election commission really uh, has to be reformed. And my hope is that with the current uh, willingness on the part of the Ismail Sabri government to institute various reforms from the anti-hopping law to now uh, talking about the uh, uh, political financing act coming up next and parliamentary reform. I hope that the prime minister with the support of the, uh, of the uh, opposition as well will amend the law and the constitution to really free up the election commission but but the second thing is that uh, i i really do want to put out a message uh to voters out there your vote matters your vote matters it is your vote that has uh, pushed for some of this reform that we saw and also push for the upholding of the rule of law i see i think the the sentencing and the jailing of the former prime minister i think confirmed that uh without doubt that it happened only because people came out to vote and the process uh, started where he was held accountable and finally sentenced. So do come out to vote. And on that note, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Thomas. It's a pleasure always. That was Thomas Fun, chairperson of Bursay. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We are available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Ketuanan Pengundi on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.